let's talk about Pokemon. In the month of November 2022, we saw the release of a highly anticipated video game with several controversial elements throughout its production, leading to even more problems upon its launch. To make a long story short, we have the most successful and profitable video game franchise in history still behaving like they're on a budget crunch and releasing a game that really needed some more time in the fixing and testing stages. No, guys, <clears throat> we're not talking about Sonic Frontiers. We'll discuss that problem some other time. Pokemon Violet Scarlet whichever order you prefer, is the latest generation of Pokemon that was set to release on this holiday season, despite the development team already releasing a game earlier this January, and that game, Pokemon Legends, being their most ambitious project. And despite the gripes of the franchise releasing far too much content without proper polish and without giving the primary series some time to breathe, here we are with new mainline Pokemon content for the seventh year in a row. <clears throat> and tenth of the last 11 years. This is MCU-like consistency. And I don't necessarily say this with a positive tone. But Pokemon Scarlet Violet had to hit shelves at this moment to coincide with the anime the Pokemon cards, and whatever other merchandise the Pokemon company was unveiling. Time crunch and production delays be damned. No matter what, this game was coming out this year in whatever condition it's in. Scarlet Violet ultimately got very mixed reviews, with very strong impressions in uh, terms of gameplay, but all of that gets negated because the game notoriously has intense struggles in frame rate and presentation and also contained a lot of wild glitches that are going viral in social media. The critics and gamers alike pretty much agree that somewhere in this mess is a very good video game, but the current setup of the company provide, prevents a notoriously perfectionist company like Nintendo from trying to pause the Pokemon machine to provide the necessary polish this game badly badly needed. Even with the game being a step forward from Sword and Shield's issues, it's just so hard to justify charging this incomplete game $60. However, <clears throat> nothing will change unless the company hierarchy is willing to accept and embrace the change on their own. Because Pokemon has hit a certain level of fame and fortune that is usually reserved for banks, oil companies, and smartphone giants. Pokemon is too big to fail. And, if it's too big to fail, it doesn't matter how weak or how underpowered the game is. The people will continue buying it because a broken Pokemon game is still more beloved than most games out in the market today. I'm here to discuss how the lack of JRPG competition, combined with the overall strength of the brand and the unique structure of the brand distribution itself, has allowed the Pokemon company to continue its greedy strategy of releasing content consistently, but without any room for delays or space to fully polish the ideas being unleashed from the creative teams within Game Freak. As a reminder, Scarlet Violet had a plethora of great innovative ideas that fans had actually been asking for, but it's still a, a jagged, broken game, just one with shades of greatness within its edges. The Pokemon franchise is the biggest IP in the entire world of gaming, and yet it still, still cannot hit its full potential unless the Pokemon company itself 
actually decides to expand its budgetary horizons and actually decides to pursue making a legitimately great game as opposed to one that simply arrives on time to make profit. Welcome to Coffee and a Script. last quarter of my life has been very inconsistent with the content, not gonna lie. Luckily, I don't have any backers or Patreons to disappoint while I sluggishly continue operating this podcast space that's been far more political than originally envisioned. But it's been a wild ride and lots of stuff must be said. <laughs> These dumb maggots be running wild. I'm not here to claim my unknown podcast is why people showed up and voted, but I'm going to take credit regardless. I'm taking my bow. Come 2023, I'm going to try to be a little more organized and less jaded with my schedule and how often I release, you know, these episodes, said content. But we'll see. I think by now, those who have stuck with me know me enough to know not to take me at my word. I am a team of one. So the only person to depend on to continue this podcast journey is myself. It would help if I could sell one of these scripts so I don't have to work full-time anymore. Speaking of which... As Batman, Bruce Wayne has survived a very long battle against the worst criminals of Gotham City. And as a result, the city is seeing widespread improvements in quality of life. The economy has improved, and as such, Wayne Enterprises is bigger than ever. So Bruce is now considering letting go of his double life especially after finally sending the ever-elusive Joker to prison. He has started dating, he has made strides in therapy, and the nightmares have decreased dramatically. But a new evil has emerged, and now Bruce Wayne has been framed for the disappearance of his therapist, as there are also sightings of a mysterious figure sparking many rumors throughout the city. As the days roll on, more evidence of other potential crimes are being pointed towards Wayne Enterprises and Bruce Wayne himself concerning decisions made by the company that has led to more destruction and mayhem than he could have ever imagined. How can Batman be there to protect the city if Bruce is being indicted? How can Bruce become Batman if he's facing a widespread investigation, a looming court case, and maybe even prison time? sharing some of the same spaces alongside everyone he has secretly put away. And who is this person single-handedly threatening to bring Gotham City back to the chaotic years that ultimately led to the creation of Batman? Batman and Bruce, screenplay by Milton Mousepin, available for purchase at the low, low price of $3 million. Please, please, the student loan company won't stop calling me, please. All right, back to the topic. The mighty Nintendo is notorious for not rushing their product, even though they have become victims of time crunching before, especially during the GameCube days. Guys, I know we're nostalgic for the GameCube, but man, during that time when the GameCube was actually for sale, there was a lot of delays. It was some rough times, man. Just letting you know. Let's not forget that. Anyway, anyway, sorry. The PTSD 
still there. But now we're in the Switch era, a wildly successful time period that is making the company very, very good money despite being two generations behind the sort of competitors Sony and Microsoft. A big reason for their success is their attention and care towards the craft and a constant effort to improve what they've already unveiled to the gaming industry. My forever favorite example, Breath of the Wild, was a production that spanned such a long time it had originally started on Nintendo's previous console, the Wii U. Released in 2017 to this day, there are still secrets and surprises being discovered by gamers who have invested hundreds of hours towards the experience. Breath of the Wild would eventually sell 28 million copies and counting, win several Game of the Year awards, and would push the Zelda franchise to pop culture heights it had never seen before. Games this deep and full of content only happen when there's minimal pressure on having to meet a specific deadline. And unlike what we see in the shoddy Call of Duty and in the even crappier Madden, Zelda and the Super Mario sequels can notoriously take several years before coming to fruition, despite always being a financial success story. The sequel to Breath of the Wild doesn't come out until the summer 2023, Thank God we have a release date, which is a whopping six years since the release of the original. Over half a decade of production allows the crew to fix the mistakes, come up with new ideas, clean up the rough edges, and give it the proper polish to make it the best game it can be. And I'm sure with the sequel, with its six-year production cycle, it will deliver similar levels of quality, thrills, and depth, if not even better. And... If there's a game better than Breath of the Wild, man, that game is going to sell Mario Kart Grand Theft Auto numbers. But the Pokemon Company could not and would not ever do this. Nintendo is so tied to Pokemon that most people outside the gaming atmosphere assume that they make the games themselves, which isn't accurate. Nintendo owns a substantial amount of the IP, but they don't produce the games at all. As a matter of fact, through a convoluted partnership, they don't have much say as to who is actually allowed to make the games, which is usually made by Game Freak. And this is why Nintendo hasn't really developed anything for the franchise after the GameCube days. Although, they really should, because Pokemon Stadium was a darn good game, which has been missing a sequel for far, far too long. I'll get back to you later, Pokemon Stadium. So the Japanese perfectionist company is ironically part of a trifecta of companies that owns and manages the Pokemon brand whose recent gaming history is chock full of games that could have used some extra time. And in the latest case, a lot of extra time. It can of course be argued that Nintendo is very well within their rights to refuse to publish the games unless necessary changes are made. But Nintendo doesn't want to harm their relationship they already have, and more importantly to them... Pokemon is too big to fail. As one of the very rare cases in all of media, Pokemon is too big to fail. It is. Disney, every once in a while, will end up with a flop. Not every Netflix show is going to be a massive hit. And notoriously, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X has yet to actually have that first-party system seller, despite being in the market for two years. Yeah, guys, it's been two years since the PlayStation 5. Time is moving too fast. Anyhow. 
But Pokemon is always a guaranteed hit, now, especially nowadays, regardless of background noise and even regardless of genre. The 22-year-old first-person photography sequel to a Nintendo 64 game managed to sell 3 million copies for crying out loud. Yeah, new Pokemon Snap is really good. All right, just wanted to point that out because everyone forgot about Pokemon Snap. Furthermore, Pokemon Scarlet Violet has sold 10 million copies in three days. <clears throat> 10 million copies in three days. Making it the most successful launch in the history of the franchise, the history of Nintendo, and probably the entire history of gaming. Do you want to know how wild these numbers are? By the end of the year, in the span of just a month and a half, this video game would have outsold every single PlayStation 5 Xbox Series X and Xbox One game ever made, as well as every PlayStation 4 game ever made, except for God of War, Spider-Man, and Uncharted 4. Godly numbers. And I feel like since it's the Nintendo brand, we're not hyping these godly numbers quite enough. This game is clearly on pace to sell over 30 million copies when all is said and done, as the game's 10 million was even before Black Friday, before like the full strength of the holiday season, and before the inevitable DLC that will eventually arrive, whether next year 2024. What lessons can Game Freak possibly learn if the purchases are this immense? What can they possibly learn if after our complaints towards the previous generation of Pokemon still resulted in 25 million copies sold? Is it that the hardcore gamers are complaining too much while not representing the mainstream audience that's fine with how the game runs? Or is it the fact that because Pokemon is such a unique style of play that we'll buy the games regardless of how disappointed we are? Whatever the explanation might be, the criticism isn't matching up with the success numbers. Pokemon is on a plateau all on its own, and it's going to take a global rejection of a game for the Pokemon company to reconsider how it does its business. Too Big to Fail is, of course, extremely good for the company benefiting from it, but it's a negative to the consumers, and even to an extent, sometimes the people making the art who might be producing and developing these games under stressful and time-crunching circumstances. The biggest setback of all during, you know, in the midst of all these controversies is that if there's going to be a massive shift, if there's going to be a massive creative gamble, it has to come from the bosses themselves because they want to try something new and not because they have to. If there's no ambition from the top as their focus is on what's already succeeding, then nothing can really change. Pokemon as a franchise has definitely grown. It's come a long way since the 1995 Game Boy Classics that started with 151 Pokemon. By the way, we're now at 1,000 overall Pokemon. I would have never expected this, you know, as a teenager. But this growth is just barely enough to keep the fans interested, while the fandom grows with millions of new gamers under a Nintendo that has become the strongest and most accessible it's ever been. What also helps is that no competitor in the monster-collecting genre of role-playing games can come even within a country mile of how well the Pokemon concept operates, you know, bugs, glitches, underperformance issues and all. And even those good examples of Pokemon-style gameplay are primarily found in Nintendo consoles 
if they're not extinct already. Monster Hunter Stories and, of course, Rest in Peace Dragon Quest Monsters. Making it less an actual competition for the Pokemon Company, which, you know, 33% of it is Nintendo. But we can't deny that today's mainline Pokemon games aren't as pretty as they could be. They don't run as well as they should. They don't have the usual Nintendo polish. And they haven't quite pushed the envelope enough in the genre. Their adventures are still on par or shorter to the DS3DS quests. And even the art style has remained rather consistent despite being in vastly superior hardware. The last time Pokemon really took a gamble was when they soft-rebooted the series with Pokemon Black and White way back in 2010, and then doubled down on the rebooting by offering the Pokemon Mainline series' only direct sequel. Funny enough, the sales of these games weren't as strong as the other Pokemon games from the same era, so maybe Game Freaks' lack of innovation is the fault of all of us. Maybe it's all your fault! I'm just, just kidding, just kidding. It's clearly the predictable success of these games and connected merchandise and other multimedia that prevents the Pokemon company from considering improving their craft. But now, to play a little devil's advocate, the company has to somehow make its money. It can't just be completely dormant because technically, the only product and service they offer is Pokemon. And this is why why HAL Laboratory which is not a company owned by Nintendo, by the way. They partner with Nintendo all the time. They put so much effort to Kirby because that is their bread and butter. Kirby doesn't belong to Nintendo per se. It belongs to HAL Laboratory. It just happens to only be on Nintendo systems because of the strong partnership. 2022 was the year of Kirby because it was an anniversary year and the company wanted to take full advantage of the celebration and the continuing success of the Switch. So in the span of one fiscal year, gamers are going to be blessed with three Kirby games, with Return to Dreamland, uh, their remake, releasing next February. Pokemon Company depends on Pokemon games to sell, and that's the basic, that's the gist of it. All their eggs are in the same basket, so to anticipate them just taking a break and giving a Zelda production schedule for the next mainline game just seemingly isn't feasible in their business strategy. Gamers want more time between games, yet the company wants to keep the gravy train going because that's what keeps their wheels turning. I'm sure to them, there really isn't a middle ground to be found. Can the Pokemon company find a way to pause the mainline series while still trying to sell their 30 to 40 million units per year from their games? Is there a way for the Pokemon company to keep their profits decent while satisfying their core base's desires for the franchise to finally catch up to the open world mechanics of Zelda, Elder Scrolls, Elden Ring, and Xenoblade Chronicles? The answer, in my opinion, is of course yes, and the proof can be found all over the Nintendo Switch and the history of the IP itself. The sacrifices have predominantly been on the side of the gamers this generation, and if Pokemon were to truly grow, expand, and seek out ways to improve its product, the sacrifice is going to have to shift towards the company and the company's profit margins. They need to hire more people, they need more support, and they need to better schedule their development process. If the Pokemon company really does want to actually improve, it starts with the staffing issues. The main development team for Nintendo that makes the top AAA titles has over 800 employees. Santa Monica Studio, the team behind the latest God of War game, 
has is 400 strong. Game Freak, the company that released three games in 12 months, not even 200 people work there. Retro Studios, the company that has been working on Metroid Prime 4 for what feels like a thousand years, they have around the same number of employees. A brand as big as Pokemon should have significantly more hands working on the projects, especially with these wild time crunches. At the same time, a company already as successful as Game Freak and the Pokemon Company can afford a few slower years as well, because they already do operate on smaller budgets and with less of the staffing. They can easily go the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe route and just continue providing smaller DLC to the four Nintendo Switch Pokemon games already in existence. Let's not forget, we still have Let's Go Pikachu without additional content. Hell, they can still provide some DLC to Pokemon Tournament and new Pokemon Snap for additional cash flow without having to rush a full game be made from scratch. Mario Kart 8 is still one of the best-selling games in the world month to month over five years since its release. Surely the Pokemon games from Sword to Pokemon Legends can also experience similar consistent sales figures with ongoing support, right? Here's the kicker. Even if Pokemon were to completely slow down their pace of releasing games, it doesn't necessarily mean they cannot profit off their branding. There's always the option to make your money by licensing your IP to other companies so they can make their versions of the Pokemon experience. And they don't all even have to be role-playing games. The Pokemon company, while perfecting the eventual 10th generation that we'll eventually get, can find ways to head back towards the past and expand the mythologies, the storylines, the characterizations, and the ideas of all previous generations through other development studios. And with that, you can introduce new merchandise and maybe even new animes and manga related to said legacy content. It's easy to consider the plethora of smaller gaming developers that would love the opportunity to interact and partner with Game Freak to help make a future Pokemon game. As I've said, a thousand Pokemon officially exist. Within nine different, mostly disconnected regions, and I'm not even counting the regions that exist within the spin-off titles, there's over 12 to 15, maybe 20 lands created in for the Pokemon universe that you could use. In addition, most of these regions don't exist outside their core lineup of games. Kanto, the region from the first generation of Pokemon games, hasn't been in any Pokemon mainline game after the second generation, way back in 2000. An absolute waste of potential. We have seen Super Mario in almost every gaming genre imaginable, with his brother even dabbling in some light horror courtesy of Luigi's Mansion. Why can't Pokemon do the same? Now yes, Pokemon has seen its share of spin-offs, but they've still barely tapped the surface of what the brand can offer, and opening the door to all these magnificent ideas would definitely cover for the lack of mainline games while Game Freak works on their next major title. And after all, they can afford the gambles and the shifts in focus because it's already been established before that Pokemon is too big to fail. Hell. Even re-releasing older games with distinctive art styles would definitely quench the thirst of more Pokemon. Imagine Pokemon Black and White and its sequel with the popular HD 2D art style that we've enjoyed seeing in Live Alive and Octopath Traveler and the upcoming Dragon Quest 3 
and the rumors that we might have that for Chrono Trigger, which I am praying for on a daily basis. Please, Lord, I don't ask for much. Just world peace and a Chrono Trigger remake with that art style. That's it. Nothing else. I don't need anything else. Also, imagine seeing the Aloha generation, you know, from Pokemon Sun and Moon with the Link's Awakening remakes art style from just a few years ago. That would also be very pretty. Perhaps one of the solutions to still making money while not charging forward unnecessarily with the 10th generation is looking at the past and repackaging them with beautiful new modernized graphics and indie-centric aesthetics while working with studios that have perfected them, Square Enix and Grizo. Of course, with many of the Pokemon games stuck in the handhelds, we also have a responsibility to bring these games to the modern era for preservation. We can look far beyond the remakes because, as I've said, the world of Pokemon invites so many different kinds of games within its borders. We can go back to Generation 1, Red, Blue, Yellow. Nice and simple. You can dabble in horror with the haunted Lavender Town. You can create a spin-off JRPG from the perspective of Giovanni and Team Rocket. Or you can even create a redemption story for Gary, the rival trainer who loses to Ash, aka Red, in the original game. In the Gen 1 locales, you can even create a farming breeding simulator while playing the cast that manages and protects the Safari Zone, because we all know that Nintendo loves their farming games, as evidenced by the 20 games related to farming and creating your own garden that exist in that console. I'm not complaining, because more is always good, all right? The more Animal Crossings, the more Farmvilles, the better. Another fun idea, you can even create an adventure game about finding ancient fossils in Cinnabar Island. All these ideas, this is just Generation 1. How about all the sequels we haven't seen yet? There's still the Pokemon Trading Card Game Part 3 that hasn't happened. We don't have the next installment in the Pokemon Coliseum series yet. We could use a Pokemon Puzzle League Part 2, hint hint. Pokemon Stadium 3... Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, and the list goes on and on. We've seen plenty from the main series, but the spin-off quantity, it's kind of dipped a little bit, and, you know, we could really use some more of these games. I have admittingly spent way too much time in this category, and it's become a giant suggestion box, so I slightly apologize, but I don't really apologize, because I really want Pokemon Stadium 3. Guys, there's nine regions, Eight badges on almost all of them. That's like over 70 badges you could choose from. So many Elite Four members and so many tournaments you can create. Guys, each uh, Pokemon Stadium 3, you can do, you can bounce from region to region, go in different tournaments that have different rules and have different Pokemon that only exist within that region. Just the ideas. Anyway, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I, I, I'm done. I'm done. I promise. I've spent too much time on this. But the primary thing is I wanted to triple down on rejecting the notion that Pokemon's success can only be achieved by the current strategy methodology. When, you know, it's just not true. It's greedy to overwork a staff of less than 200 and making multiple games in the span of a year that each requires at least 20 to 30 gameplay hours to beat and 40 to 60 to complete. That's just a lot of stuff they have to make it's just unfair. It's unfair to everyone involved, from producer to consumer. And as I've said, it sadly requires one of the three big pieces of the Pokemon Circle 
to step up and put an end to the vicious cycle. Maybe Pokemon Company can delay their giant giant simultaneous releases. Maybe Nintendo can finally step up and demand better before spending the money to globally publish the games. Or maybe Game Freak can finally speak up and demand more time, staffing, and spacing so nobody is burned out from the franchise. The IP has given us way too much potential, way too many storylines for us to feel bored by Pokemon, but if we're constantly just churning forward with more incomplete and broken games, eventually the joy will indeed start wearing thin. Pokemon is a very unique setup that has nonetheless provided millions, likely billions in profit, to the companies that have a stake in it. But because there are so many hands in the pot, there's less of a consensus that what we're seeing from the last two generations is rather unacceptable. And because it's such a tight partnership that it honestly feels a little fragile too, there is a chance that maybe Nintendo wants to change, or that maybe Game Freak wants to change. But it requires multiple parties to agree and accept that there's a problem, and that's kind of where the delay comes in. It's not one company saying we should probably fix this. It has to be multiple companies saying, okay, we need to, you know, we need to work together and we need to resolve this. It requires multiple greedy minds for them to admit that Pokemon needs a pause. But boy, selling 10 million copies in three days is definitely a good problem to have. And of course, under capitalism, you have a hard time seeing anything wrong with the picture. Taking a glance outside the profit margins, however, you're seeing a video game industry that has evolved several generations ahead of what we're seeing from the Pokemon games themselves. Nowadays, you're seeing a fan base in love with the series, but collectively remaining so frustrated that even after decades of games and content and the support of said games and content, we still haven't seen the brand at its full quality potential. Time will tell how much longer the Pokemon Company will continue operating this way, but there's no way we'll ever see a Breath of the Wild or an Elden Ring under current circumstances. There's no way we can fully dive in on the world created by the company, uh, the full Pokemon world created by these creative minds, if we're always moving on to the next Cash Cow adventure. I don't think boycotting is necessarily the answer because games aren't bad, They're not bad. And as a matter of fact, 2022 has given the fandom some hope that Game Freak is actually sort of listening to us about evolving the series beyond how it originally started. But after all, Pokemon... I'll do this one last time. ...is too big to fail. And the company can very well just continue doing the same thing while providing crumbs of innovative and creative growth. But they do deserve letters. They may not deserve boycotting, but they deserve some strong letters. They do deserve some online backlash, and they do deserve reminders that since Pokemon is, you know, the thing, maybe it's time to take heavier gambles. Maybe it's time to invest more time, I think I'm using that word too much here, and, you know, invest more resources, invest more creative people towards other projects within the universe fray away from the main series, even if it's just for a few extra years, in order to catch up to the rest of gaming and the, you know, and the innovations that we've seen from the biggest franchises in the world of video games. Unlike how a struggling company like Twitter 
has had to shed off its problematic people and policies, Pokemon Company can ignore all of this. And for the record, when I mean Twitter needs to shed off its problematic people and policies, I do mean the guy that bought the thing. But we're not discussing Twitter. Back to Pokemon. But yeah, they can ignore all this noise because they're still going to make their money. But they shouldn't ignore this. They've already made their success. They're on top of the gaming and merchandising world. And it's time that they actually do truly listen to us. They should begin opening a new chapter in what they produce, how they produce it, and at what frequency. Even if they are, you know, the too big to fail, always remember that American banks at one point still needed an entire federal government to save them. Not saying it will happen now or even within the decade, but decisions made today, and they should start happening today, can prevent them from having to rely on a now jaded fan base to keep them afloat for if their reign on top of the mountain ever gets threatened. Mend your bridges now because it will be a scary, scary place if they all suddenly start burning. Pokemon, I love you guys. <laughs> Pokemon Company, Nintendo, I love you guys. You have given us so much in gaming, but it's time to start making changes. It, enough is enough. You saw how the game came out, and we deserve much better. It's as simple as that. Mend the bridges, or we cannot save you once these bridges start burning. Just saying. All right. Now, if you've made it this far, thanks for listening. My website is diac1987.com, where you can find my blog, my other podcast entries as well. Of course, I'm primarily on Spotify because, you know, Spotify is king. But I think I exist in Apple Podcasts as well. I think they're uploading there as well. Special shout out to OC Remix for having so much awesome music available for us to utilize. And to my brother, Michael, this is a special shout out to you. You've been on this crusade against the Pokemon Company's greedy laziness for a very, very long time. And I commend you for your efforts in continuing this boycott that you've had for quite a while. I've lost track of how many years it's been. But special shout out to you. Have a great week and hopefully you'll be here for when the next episode comes in. Register to vote. Remember to vote out fascist. Be nice to your neighbors. Ciao, ciao, and goodbye. I want my Pokemon Stadium 3 game freak. Make it happen. The possibilities are endless. Give me my 12 regions and 1,000 Pokemon on the same game. Please. Please.